Well, this is it, and here we go with another great edition of Inside EMS, the internationally recognized Inside EMS, and I am very excited as we enter the month of May, this is going to be our 10th year anniversary. It was actually May 13th, 2013, that we started this podcast, and Kelly Grayson is still on special assignment. He will be back with us soon, but have I got a show for you. But before we start, I do want to remind you, we have been video recording these calls, and you guys can see us now. EMS One has a video on YouTube, EMS One video. Go ahead and check it out. You can check out all the old, all the past Inside EMS shows, and this one will be no different. But have I got a show for you? Usually, Kelly and I will do a good job of arguing pro and con, but since he's not here, it didn't seem right of me arguing with somebody else so i brought in two people to help us with this discussion our good friend steve whitehead he is a firefighter he is an educator he is an ems1 columnist and he is the host of one for the road an all-around great guy steve i want to thank you for joining us on inside ems hey thanks for having me chris and we are going to go up to colorado and nick newdell he is the trauma. He is the trauma research manager there in Colorado. He's also the president of the American Paramedic Association. If you've not checked out the American Paramedic Association yet, go ahead and do that. As Nick and his team are doing a great job to represent the EMT provider and the paramedic provider in their daily responsibilities. Nick, I want to thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Oh, thank you. It's an honor to be with you. It's uh, how was that introduction, guys? Was that okay? Did I do it the way you wrote it for me? Was it good? So I, Solid. I, I read Solid. it just like I okay, good, very good. So Nailed you know, it. when we were talking about the show, uh, you guys do have differing viewpoints, and when we talk about you know how we go about our job and we're on scene, and they teach us a lot of things in paramedic school of where we need to kind of take what we see at the scene. And bring that into the hospital. Take what we see in the home and bring that into the hospital. And this is in our patient care report. You know, sometimes when there's accidents for mechanism of injury, we'll have to take those pictures. You know, we have to talk about what the car looked like. And sometimes the doc will ask, what did the car look like? I got to tell you, it's been years since I've heard that. Or, you know, we're doing a great job of being amateur photographers or taking pictures of this trauma scene or taking pictures of this mechanism of injury. But you guys have a little bit of a differing opinion if reporting the mechanism of injury is really important. But Steve, I am going to give you the first shot to make your case. Nick, we'll go to you next, and then uh, we'll see where the discussion goes. Thank you. And I, I think you hit it. I, I think it's worth pointing out that, well, two things. One, Nick and I are friends. As long as, as the day is long, we are great friends, and he is a, a phenomenal sounding board. I always love bouncing EMS things off of him because he's so in touch with the research and the current status of what's out there. But this is a real disagreement. It, it we're not coming on to like sort of banter too. Like this was something that I kind of took personal when he brought it up. And we were out motorcycling together, as we often do. We were sitting around a campfire. We may not have both been completely sober at the moment that this came up, but we're typically kind of an echo chamber of agreeing with each other on stuff. And then this point came up about 
the mechanism of injury. And I'm an, I'm an instructor. I teach at the EMT level all the time. And I teach about mechanism of injury. And one of the things I teach is that like, this is one of the few things in EMS that we need to own. Because if we make a mistake and we, uh, we evaluate the mechanism of injury wrong, nobody else can fix that for us. You know, if we miss something in patient care, if we miss something in our treatment, once we get the patient to the hospital, they have the patient, right? And they can be like, oh, hey, you missed this bruising over the abdomen. You missed this, you know, fracture of the ankle. Um, but if we miss something critical about the mechanism of injury, nobody else is ever going to see it. That is lost in the course of care. And uh, I was very surprised when Nick came back to say, like, it doesn't matter, you know? And I mean, maybe he was a little over the top because again, you know, there was a little brown water going back and forth. It was like, of course it matters. It's like, it doesn't matter. And I took that kind of personal because I've been teaching that for a long time. And then I walked away from the discussion thinking, does it matter? You know, I mean, have I been wrong about this the entire time? Does the physician standing on the other side of that patient while I'm saying, you know, we've got three feet of, you know, engine compartment intrusion and six inches of passenger space intrusion. And there's this on the windshield that they could really just care less about the height of the fall or any of those aspects of, of care. So I want to know, and I do, I want to defend the idea that it it is important that we should be looking at it evaluating it teaching it to the next generation of ems providers they still need to know newton's laws they still need to know those things that should send up red flags and say be really careful with this patient well you know i don't have a dog in this fight so it's your arguments that'll convince me as to which way to sway at the end of this show so nick you heard the setup and you were there i guess for that uh brown water consumption <laughs> But, uh, you know, give us your opinion on this subject. Well, it's it's really, really tough because I've given a lot of reports to trauma surgeons in my day, and I was always really excited when I had the opportunity, and it was, didn't interfere with patient care, of course, to take a picture of the car or the damage or the, the scene in general so that I could then relay it to the trauma surgeon. And along with the trauma surgeon, of course, the trauma nursing clinicians who are taking care of the patient with the trauma surgeon. And it wasn't until I started spending some of my time observing traumas being brought in by other paramedics and talking to trauma surgeons directly one-on-one -on -one, that I came to realize for the most part, they don't care what that car looks like. Um, what what they do care about is so just to your point, Steve, they do care about mechanism of injury in a general sense, more before the patient actually gets to the hospital than they do once you're at the hospital. So calling in on the radio 10, 15, 20 minutes ahead of time, or if you use an app or some other way of communicating with the hospital and telling them that you're inbound with a penetrating trauma of the torso, um, no hemorrhage control, the vitals are bad, that sort of thing. That paints a picture for them of the sort of things that they need to be ready for. But once you show up there, showing them a picture of the gun that created the penetrating wounds isn't going to change anything that they do. 
Yeah, you know, so I got to tell you, I mean, you bring up both bring up great points to open this up. You know, Steve, <clears throat> I've been in the emergency room. I've brought people in. The trauma surgeon has said to me, what did the car look like? Um, so give us that. Let's go to the argument now. And let's but I, I will say that I don't know that I've, anyone has said that to me in the last 10 years. But they have said, and I'm going to go ahead once I give, you know, Nick his setup. Wait to hear what I'm going to say next. But so I have said to the trauma surgeon, he's asked me, what did the car look like? Was the windshield spidered? Was the steering wheel, uh, you know, bent? You know, uh, you know, from a paramedic standpoint, the up and over and the down and under, it really kind of helps us ascertain what we need to be looking for in our patient assessment. But I mean, doctors have asked me, Steve, I'm with you. Right. And okay, so just, just so that I can clarify, Chris, are you saying they haven't asked you that in the last 10 years because you're not actively dropping patients off in the trauma center? Thank are you, you just saying yeah, that you, you feel like that, that that maybe we have transitioned away from it being important? I just want to clarify. Yeah, I think that we have transitioned away from it being important. Now, I mean, they're taking the reports and they're understanding, but I, this is just one area. I can't speak for the, sure. everybody. I can't speak for everybody else. Well, let me break down a, a, a couple things about that, where I think that the transition of thought process as we arrive on scene and where mechanism of injury fits in, because I believe that there is a through line. Like we go back to maybe like 20 years ago, National Registry figured out that sometimes we're going to do different kinds of assessments. It's not the same assessment for every patient. Sometimes it's a focused, sometimes it's a detailed. And I think when they did that, they were implying like, you know, not every patient is approached with the same index of suspicion, right? Not every patient needs the same head to toe, right? Some uh, rapid trauma is sometimes appropriate. Focusing on their ankle is sometimes appropriate, right? So when do we decide that index of suspicion? I think there's a through line that starts with your scene size up. And with that scene size up comes that mechanism of injury and like how far did they fall or if they were shot how many times were they shot what was the range that you know what was the caliber of the weapon they were shot with how fast were they going are there skid marks on the ground all of those things we process and we develop our index of suspicion and at that moment in time i think it's that mechanism and that accurate evaluation of the mechanism that should either heighten or or lower that index of suspicion that's crucial for figuring out, do I need to, in the first 20 seconds of this call, do a rapid trauma assessment and start looking for life threats? You know, can I start asking them questions about what's your name and what happened to you today? Or do I need to get out my trauma shares and start stripping off clothing and doing an assessment? And I do believe that that carries to the hospital. I believe that there is clinical decision making on our part from do they get to go in their own car do they get to go in my vehicle do they get to go emergent or non i feel like that has to transfer at some point i'm going to give nick the photo thing right i'm gonna i will i will concede the point that it, it, it for all except for the most unusual mechanisms of injury the photo is likely worthless right but i think that our ability to assess and communicate accurately what that mechanism is communicates the index of suspicion that they should have when they approach that patient yeah very interesting i gotta tell you i have had trauma surgeons and er physicians look at my pictures of the car but nick i, I want to go to you and i want to give you this you know, back in the old days, right? Mass pants. Remember the mass pants? We had to put them on. If you don't remember, this was this 
This was a suit that went on the lower extremities and the abdomen. You had to fill it up a certain way. You had to, you know, take the air out a certain way. You had to think about, you know, the blood pressure and maintaining blood pressure. And, you know, once we got to the ER, I remember one time, Nick, that a, that a trauma surgeon just ripped them off and threw them in the corner without even taking the air out. I mean, how many times are they not even listening to our patient reports? So what do you give us here? Well, first, I think we should go back to Steve already gave me one point on the argument. So Is that the picture? The picture. <laughs> okay. the picture. Steve, you're not, doing, you're not doing a good job of holding up your end. Well, I didn't realize there was a scoreboard. I was I was conceding oh, that point because yeah. I wanted to get to the important stuff. I wanted to pressure him into getting to the really important stuff. All right, your back's against the wall, Nick. Let's go. What do you got? All right. So my... My observation, well, I should say my observations maybe are a little bit different in that I have the ability to watch traumas come into the trauma bay as a paramedic, but without any kind of clinical role in the encounter um, from a research perspective. So I'm able to watch the interactions between the paramedics, the nurses, the trauma surgeons, the RTs, the the lab techs, everybody that's in the room. And the the critical things that the trauma surgeons really are trying to get at in the immediate moment when that patient arrives is, is their airway patent? Are they breathing? Is is their blood circulating? They, they are going to the ABCs just like we do. And so if you're coming in and you have a story that can be very distracting for them when they are trying to perform their initial assessment. So trying to listen to a story that has nuances and is talking about, you know, what they had for dinner last night or what kind of cancer their second cousin had twice removed or things like that. It's just a distraction from the emergency uh, assessment and treatment process. And so the more you can focus the information that you're sharing or the information that you have available to you to share on the things related to the ABCs, the more engaged that provider will be because you might be able to then give them a clue as to something that they should be looking for specifically and they're not trying to filter out um, unhelpful information. And and it's not that the information might not be useful at some point during the encounter. It's just that in their risk management of that patient, what's gonna what's gonna prevent that patient from dying in the next five to ten minutes should be the the ultimate concern when you're doing your initial handover. You can talk to them later when the patient goes to CT, show them all the pictures you want. The ladder, how tall it was, what branch of the tree they fell off of. Uh, they overpassed that the car, you know, cannonballed off of whatever you want to do afterwards would be fine. But in that heat of the moment, they just need to know the emergency stuff. Yeah, very interesting. You know, Steve, I had to take some notes while you were talking. Yeah. And you said a couple things. Um, you know, you said it, it, why it's important. Tell us why it's important. Right. So now we yeah. know that we need to be able to paint this picture. We need to be able to show them the pictures. Why is this important for them? Well, I, I feel like when, like, Nick has, like, I just, I gave several examples of what I thought were um, valuable 
mechanism of injury details in that last little you know flurry there. Um, and when Nick gives examples, I think it is easy for him to come up with examples of inconsequential information because I'm sure he he gets to hear that a lot. And I think that that is that's an important you know variable to throw in there, right? You don't want to communicate a bunch of inconsequential information and and fine tuning your patient report to only what is important has uh is is great for your credibility as a as a provider for the attention of the staff in that moment in time but i think we need to differentiate between is mechanism of injury valuable and what is you know important versus inconsequential information the branch of the tree isn't important but i would say the height of the fall is important to the point where i believe if i left it out they would probably ask me well how far did he fall right it's just that like if i was like fall victim uh climbing in a tree and then i just went on from there about what i found there's this on the head here may have hit a branch here somebody would ask me well how far do you know how far he fell because it's important right the color of the car is not important its speed at the time of impact is relatively important whether or not the impact was frontal or in their door is critically important i feel when they're about to start evaluating that patient right so inconsequential versus important information i believe that we can give lots of examples of mechanism of injury types of things that are just not valuable to the equation but i i still can, I, I i stand on the idea that there are plenty of mechanism of injury details that need to be communicated because they are valuable and i would bring up an additional point that in these trauma centers that nick's talking about where these surgeons are apparently not really interested in us telling them a story about the mechanism of injury if you look at their criteria for whether or not we transport to their facility and whether or not we call an alert oftentimes that criteria is almost entirely based on mechanism of injury to a fault right and it maybe it's why they're not as interested in our story because they write these criteria that are like if they fell more than 20 feet if it's a child that got hit by did I lose you? No, I guess I got to come off mute to say that. But I, I think they know that, though, right? I, I, I don't know that you're helping your your case here when you say we're going to the trauma because it's it's greater than twenty feet or or three times or five times the height or because the you know the the car accident was going this fast. They know that why we're bringing it. So is mechanism right. really that important if they if they wrote those standards or if they know what those standards are? Absolutely, because. One, we've all had the experience of like, why'd you call the trauma alert? Well, I didn't need one, but you said anytime a, a vehicle strikes a child, I have to call a trauma alert. You gave me a mechanism-based criteria that was worthless when this child ran out of the parking lot and hit the side of this car, right? You didn't rely on my clinical judgment, right? Clinical judgment is what we should be basing our trauma alert criteria on my judgment of the patient which is predicated on my evaluation of the mechanism of injury right so i don't think we should be like calling these trauma alerts based on mechanism of injury i do think 
it kind of does a disservice to the reputation of Mechanism of Injury. You get the, the cartoons online, look at that, Mechanism of Injury, you know, people making fun of it because we realize that oftentimes it is a worthless metric, but we should be able to explain when it is a valuable metric, when it is important information, because they didn't just fall, they fell 30 feet, and they didn't just fall onto grass, they fell onto concrete, and those details are important. Yeah. So, Nick, I mean, I asked him why it's important. I'm going to ask you why it isn't important. But I do want to give you this caveat that I do want you to touch on, okay? So why isn't it important? But in the days of a litigious society, if I don't walk into that ER and if I don't show them the picture or if I don't talk about the mechanism of injury or if I don't talk about, you know, how they got into the state that they're in and then this eventually comes back into some big lawsuit, can they come and say, well, the paramedics never told me that. I'd have treated this guy 100% differently if they would have told me what this car looked like. So, I mean, it's a kind of double-edged sword here, isn't it? Well, it's a, that's an interesting point. I, so I think just as a point of order, I think it's that we should make it clear that there are two types of indications for trauma uh, transport. One is mechanism-based. And on the, the most recent guidelines, they're even colored yellow, I believe, yellow border. Um, each hospital might call them a different thing, or each trauma system might call it a different thing. Where, where I work, we call that a limited trauma. It's limited. It's mechanism only. It's, there may or may not be anything there. That's in contrast to the full trauma activation criteria, which is on on a, a red color to to make it more emergent appearing which is not mechanism based but is uh physiologically based so low blood pressure altered mental status not not breathing things like that would all qualify for for the more severe criteria so in the in the more severe side of things maybe knowing um knowing that so on the way to the hospital knowing that they have holes in their chest or that there's blood leaving their body things like that would be important things to know um however once that patient arrives at the hospital the trauma surgeon has them right in front of them now they can do their own assessment they're going to do their own assessment their assessment is much more thorough than ours they're going to have the ability to do ultrasound. They can do a fast exam. They can do a CT scan. They can do x-rays to check for injuries, all the different things that they could do that we don't have the ability to do. So we have to have our index of suspicion, whereas they have the actual diagnostic tools to identify the actual injuries. So there's a, there is a difference between the pre-hospital perspective and what I believe is the in-hospital perspective. I'm not a trauma surgeon, so I don't want to sound like I know what they think and what they do exactly, but um, their perspective is different because they have better tools than, than we do. So when you're on the way to the hospital, you're trying to give them enough information so they know what kind of team needs to be there to receive your patient. Right. Should they have the massive transfusion protocol ready to go? Do they need to have four units of blood thawed and and in the in the infuser ready to be connected 
or is it just somebody that um, fell down and went boom, right? It's what what end of the spectrum are they on? And to your point, Steve, it's it's okay to tell them that they fell 15 feet or 40 feet or fell from standing. Um, that information does give them a context. It does help them to know what kind of team and to be thinking how quickly do we need to go to CT? Is this going to be um, a, a fast pass and get us into the OR or do we have time to, to do some things here in the ER before we get to the OR? So that information helps, but it's a very small piece of information. It's three words, four words, five words. Like it's a very short thing. It's not a, it's not a, a, a long discussion about what happened or, or what you saw. So it, there's just these little nuances in there. So I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say that no information is needed. They do need some information. It's just very limited and very specific and pointed to that moment. Because when you hand off the patient, now they have their own hands and their own stethoscope, their own eyes and ears to, to do their assessment with. So getting out of their way so that they can start that assessment becomes important. Yeah. I mean, you, you bring up some really great points and I got to tell you, I don't know which way I'm leaning because you all got great points here, but Steve, let me give you this mm -hmm. yeah. is the reason that we learn so much about the mechanism of injury. Is it more for our own benefit to figure out what we need to concentrate on? Let's think about a car accident. We got a spidered windshield with, they went up and over, you know, did they break their hips? Did they crack, uh, crack some ribs? Did they break their sternum? You know, did they spider the windshield? Is it really more for us than having to go to the hospital and say, let me show you what the car looked like, doc? Because now Nick is telling me that regardless of what they tell us or what we tell them, they're going to do what they want to do. They got the patient right there. Let's get a CT. Give me labs. And they're going to run the gamut on every single patient the same way. Every single patient the same way. I'm glad you finished off with that because I think that that is a key point. But let me back up. Let me back up to where you were going with that. I will say that mechanism is more valuable to us than perhaps to that trauma team when we're doing that handoff. And yes, we need to recognize that when we're trying to decide if it's a, you know, how you doing today? Tell me what happened. Or if it's a strip and flip rapid trauma assessment, what's going to kill him in the first two minutes, you know, let's get in the, in the rig and start doing things emergently as we move towards a trauma center. Those types of determinations, yes, it's, I would say in, in the balance of the universe, that information is more valuable to us. But so that our clinical decision making makes sense to the next people in the team, I do believe the story that led us to this moment, to that decompressed chest, to the bilateral IV lines, to the multiple blood pressures, to the emergent, to the trauma center, the story that brought us there needs to be told in a concise way, you know, conveying the important information. I think Nick brought up a point there. You're like, let's go back to it. Like that, they're gonna treat everybody the same way. Nick just listed, this long list of tests that are done on every person that arrives at the emergency room via ambulance. Is that true? Are every single one of those tests done on every single patient? Or is it possible that sometimes 
that physician and that team decide to do some of those tests and not others and not x-ray everybody or not scan everybody or not send everybody to CT based on their index of suspicion. And that index of suspicion is built on vital information that only we can tell them about the mechanism of injury. Nick, I don't know that I got a question for you. I'm just going to let you respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think we've probably all heard jokes about CT scans in the emergency room being used a lot. Um, so I'll stay stay away from that element of it, kind of sticking more to the, the sciencey, nerdy side of it. I, I think what you're going to find is the trauma surgeons are going to order the tests that they de deem appropriate based off of the findings of the patient in totality. So if you told them that they've that they jumped out of the space shuttle and landed on the ground and they're having trouble breathing and this and that they're, they're going to put all those pieces together and decide the best treatment for them. And it's not going to be um, it's, it's going to be customized for each patient in, in each situation. So if you didn't tell them that he jumped out of the space shuttle, they only knew that he was having trouble breathing they're probably going to still do the same things um, that the patient's presenting as they are. Um, there Maybe there are some scenarios where the mechanism is going to add something new to it. Um, I'm not sure what that is, but I'm sure there's something. If you, if you could think of one where if you only knew the mechanism, it would tell you that you needed to do this test or do this thing or treat the patient in a certain way, then I, I would be right there with you. But it's it's going to be pretty rare if there is something. Yeah, interesting. So, uh, you know, I think we could talk about this the whole day, right? But uh, we're getting up there in time now. I, I think we have to put uh, the cherry on the top of this cake. But uh, Nick, I've been asking Steve the, the questions first. I'm going to give it to you. Maybe just your final thought. I mean, think about it from the experience side. I mean, you've been a paramedic for a long time. You know, you're working in research and trauma right now. So you're seeing this on a daily basis. So we've had a little friendly, you know, friendly back and forth here. But really, make the case to the EMS providers that are listening to the show why this is not important for us, uh, for them to bring to the ER. All right, it's going to be like that. I'm going to say we should we should probably do a little bit better job on our pre-arrival information. Uh, we might be test saturated, might be doing a whole bunch of things all by yourself in the back of an ambulance with a really sick patient. But if we can prepare the ER for our arrival, that will set us up for success so that when we get there, we don't have to give a lot of backstory and a lot of information. We hopefully can just provide an update on the patient's condition that where they've changed since we gave our pre-arrival report and then let the trauma team do their thing. And after 10, 15 minutes, when they get the patient over to CT or whatever is gonna happen with the patient, there might be an opportunity to then go into a little more depth for the nurses or the, the physicians taking care of the patient to give them more of that backstory or fill in some gaps after they've done their assessment and they start seeing things and they wonder why this or why that. Uh, some of the explanatory information might be helpful later, whereas it's it's not going to influence their initial treatments. So I say keep it short and sweet and save, save the pictures for another time. All right. Interesting. And Steve, 
your final thought on the subject. Make the case for the mechanism Making of injury. The case. I'm not taking out my phone unless it's really impressive. However, throughout my career, there have been moments when mechanism of in injury has done me wrong and has done me right. A child that fell off of uh, the roof of a play set and I let that child go POV to the hospital. When they arrived there, I learned later that kid had a significant splenic lack. Uh, would I have noticed that splenic laceration if I had been given a more accurate picture from my partner who evaluated the mechanism that they had also struck a rail on their way to uh, the ground? Yes, I think that patient's course of care would have gone differently. The woman who was seated and buckled into her car by the man who had run her over with the car. He then drove down the road and he slid and T-boned an oncoming car and fled the scene. But it was the fact that we could see that none of her injuries matched the mechanism of injury. She had been struck on the opposite side of her body, helped us in giving her the appropriate level of care and also having him ultimately charged with the crime that he had committed. Non-accidental trauma is another good one that comes to mind where our detailed evaluation of the mechanism can have great implications for that patient's care later on down the road. If you don't believe me, if you're leaning on Nick's side, I would invite you as a paramedic to show up to the hospital and not tell them anything about the mechanism of injury, right? Or just give a very, very short report and see if anybody cares. I'm not going to say that they will or they won't. I would say experiment with that for yourself. I myself am still standing on the rock of mechanism of injury. While I do want to give a concise story, while I do want to make sure that I'm not giving extraneous information that is not helpful, I will continue to be a fan of evaluating accurately the mechanism of injury. And what I would like to know from you, Chris, as you wrap this up, we've got people who are watching right now and they need to know, they need to walk out there in the field and say, hey, here's these two folks. They both seem pretty smart. They both kind of disagree on this, but what are the key salient points that they can do tomorrow when they have their next trauma call that you think you know are well within the fairway of both Nick and I and what we think about this issue. Yeah, I don't know that I was here to work, Steve. I was here just to moderate. But so I would think this. I mean, I, I mean you had two great arguments here and I could see the both both sides of each. You know, I think being trained the way that I was trained, the mechanism of injury is important to ensure that we take care of the patients as we suspect, have our own uh, suspicion of uh, what's going on and how we're going to take care of those people. What should we see if somebody has a bent steering wheel? What should we see if somebody bangs their head on the windshield? What should we see if they've been T-boned at highway speeds, right? That's going to help us make the determination of how we're going to treat the member. Now, I think from the other side, when I call that into the hospital, I'm going to say, Medic so-and-so, I'm en route to your location with a 54, 54-year-old female who was struck on the passenger side, blah, 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 at highway speeds. That's now alerting them to say, this is something that they need to take seriously and maybe trauma won this, right? And we need a trauma alert because of this. But from Nick's side, when I walk in and give my report of what I did in the ambulance, are they really going to care what that car looked like? So I think from a tangible side... From a paramedic and EMT side, you have to be very, very diligent about the mechanism of injury. You have to be able to report on your radio report what's happened and what, you're do what you've are what you done so far. But then 
Let the hospital dictate what they're going to do and what they're going to want because they have their processes, they have their workflow, and they're going to do and give the test that they think that they're going to get. So what do we take from it? We have to be able to be the best that we can be in determining what's happening with the patient because of what's happened to them in the field. But later, we'll see what happens when we get to the hospital. How's that? Boom. Huh, man. But I got to tell you what, it was a great discussion. I want to see you guys come back and bring me something else that you guys can bring and take pro and con sides. A pro and con signs. We'll have Kelly back. I'm sure he's going to probably take a side. I'll probably take a side. And we'll have the inside EMS cage match smackdown uh, when you guys come back. How's that sound? But everybody out there, you you had some great, you know, great discussion here. You got two great minds, EMS minds, talking about the mechanism of injury and what it means for us, what it means for the people that are in the, how do you feel about it? You know, you heard Steve say, give me some points of what I think, Chris, you've heard, but what are your points? I want to go ahead and know about it. Send us an email at the show at ems1.com. When you see this on Facebook, go ahead and give us your comments. Go ahead and address them to Steve. Go ahead and address them to Nick and let them know whose side you're on. Uh, For Steve Whitehead and Nick Nudell, I'm Chris Sabalero. For Kelly Grayson, we're going to go ahead and catch you next week. Don't forget to check us out on EMS1 Video on YouTube, and we'll get you next week.